get stuffed. Hello and welcome back to Double Stuff Cinema. This is episode number 34. I'm Tyler. I'm Shrey. And I'm Andrew. And uh, we are here today to talk about a very exciting new Netflix original film. Uh, If you've been on Netflix recently, as we assume you would be in quarantine, you've probably heard about it. It's The Five Bloods. It's a new Spike Lee joint, as he likes to call it. Um... (laughs) I think this is his first feature film since the uh, Black Klansman in 2018. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very exciting. It's one of it's the latest in like Netflix's streak of prestige films from highly regarded directors. You had like Roma, you had The Irishman, and now we've got The Five Bloods. So we all watched it recently, and we're here to give you guys some of our thoughts on it. Um, anybody want to get us started here? Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I you can, just watched it. Yeah, I can yeah. talk about it. I, I finished this movie about 15 minutes ago. Uh, honestly, I might need a little bit of recovery time because it's a little bit of a doozy, you know? Yeah. Um, I do want to say, like, just after watching this movie, the one thing that stuck out to me was, like, Delroy Lindo who plays Paul, he has an amazing performance throughout the whole movie. It's like his character kind of goes insane. And he has a monologue through the jungle where he's staring right at the camera. And it's just like, I don't know, it makes me sweat, to be honest. It's really intense. Yeah. Uh, It's very much like in Spike Lee's signature style where he has like those straight to camera monologues. That kind of feel like they could take you out of the movie, but the way he uses them really work super well. And I think it especially works with Delroy Lindo's part here, where it's like honestly making you uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I feel like he's going crazy, and which I mean, he is, but I feel like he's talking to a person that's not there who's like where I am. Yeah. You know, like seeing mm-hmm. someone else. Um, I think we are going to want to revisit Delroy Lindo a bit towards the end because I think he is, you know, the biggest central focus of the movie. Yeah. You know, he, mm-hmm. I would say more than anything, he is the lead actor more than anyone else. Yeah, I could agree. Like, I could use I think, he's top build, yeah. Yeah. And it definitely makes sense. His character, ha- I think, has the biggest arc out of all of them, even though, you know, it may appear to be that some of the other characters are more important. I think his really is the soul of the movie. Yeah. And just to give like a quick, like, I guess, summary of what the movie's about. Um, you know, this is like a Vietnam war movie, but it doesn't really feel like a Vietnam war movie. I don't, I don't know if you guys like uh, felt that while you're watching it as well, but you know, I've seen like full metal jacket and platoon and apocalypse now, and this is something that's like totally different. It's totally out of genre. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of come to expect that with the, with the Spike Lee movie, but I just found it, honestly, I found it really, really cool how it, it takes a kind of a, 
you know, forgotten and overlooked story uh, about African-Americans in the Vietnam War and just kind of, um, you know, goes through the, some of like the, the most horrific experiences from the war and, and like the aftermath and the fallout and it does it so well. And like I said, I just haven't seen, I'm kind of shocked because I haven't seen anything quite like it. Yeah. And honestly, there are like some gruesome images they include in this movie that really, you know, yeah, it's, it's intense. If, like, if you're not a fan of like gore, there's like, they show actual deaths that are caught on, that were caught on tape and, the 70s or whatever when the actual vietnam war was happening like people i think they had like some scenes with people lighting themselves on fire but they also had like straight up executions mm-hmm. which yeah, yeah people around the world saw during the vietnam war and it's yeah, very the buddhist buddhist monk uh, yeah scene which is i mean that that stuff is like it's you can see that in the movie and be like okay that's like you know, like something special happens. Special effects. You, like you can you can distance it. Yeah, it's special yeah. effects. But when you when you get like these actual images of people being killed, you're you know it's uh, it's just terrifying. So that yeah, no, I was like shocked too when I saw that injury. I yeah. think it very much works. Like, kind of say this was real. It's like helping you, I guess, distance us from fiction. It's very much telling you this is like something that really did happen. The, hor- mm-hmm. the horrifying reality of war cannot be like ignored when you see this you know yeah it's it makes it feel a lot more like a fictional story telling a true story even though you know the the story itself isn't true mm-hmm. but there's definitely grains of truth that stand out um i do think the not only do they show like the war images but like uh images of actual people that lived in history like Aretha Franklin and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, they show like clips and pictures throughout the movie and I really like that part. It felt more grounded, you know. Yeah. It all those added elements of real life really add more color to the movie. It very much helps you ground yourself in the setting, even though it is like modern day it's very much rooted in the past. Like, I think a big idea of the movie is that, like, the war never ended for its main characters. Yeah. And it's taking you back to the time that they remember with the war being all fresh and new and everything that, all of the whole cultural context going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, like, going back in time. and, And, you know, it's interesting, too, because the, you have like the actors who are playing themselves in the present, which in the present day, uh, going back to Vietnam to recover the remains of um, one of their squad. But you also have flashbacks throughout the film with Chadwick Boseman and um, the rest of the cast. And they're not like Chadwick Boseman's obviously his own age, but everyone else is like not de-aged, which I think apparently it was like a, like a budget thing, but then it ended up working out great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so they're like all 60 or 70 in present day or so in 2020. And then it's taking you back to the 70s. And you're seeing these same 70-year-old men with just like a little bit of makeup. uh, But they're playing like their 30-year-old selves alongside Chadwick Boseman. And I, I actually really love that element of the movie. 
it helps maintain that connection between the characters. Whereas like in Irishman, you can see how the characters are who they are in the future. But you know, there is a bit of that weird CGI weirdness to take you out. But here it's very much a direct line between their portrayals. And I feel like it definitely helps show how the characters view themselves. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, throughout the movie, it's kind of like they're having the flashbacks is kind of what I felt. Because, I mean, the transitions into the flashbacks, they're devious. You know, they're so sudden. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is when they're, like, walking out of the Vietnamese, like, club or bar or something. Yeah. And there's, like, firecrackers on the ground. And all of them just, like, hit the deck and it goes right into a flashback, you know? Yeah. And I think part of that was showing, um, you know, like how PTSD can affect veterans. Uh, yeah. But it was definitely very cool that they included that. Um, I also really loved how he kind of distinguishes between present and past, like beyond what's going on in the scenes, like his whole visual style, where we talked about with Little Women, where they kind of um, use reds and yellows for the present or for the past and blues and cooler tones for uh the the present here it's like you've got the usual theatrical wide angle for the present and then you go into a slightly more boxed in and grainy film-like look Mm -hmm. for those flashbacks yeah i'm pretty sure uh the flashbacks were shot on 16 millimeter and then all the all the you know in present day stuff was digital so it it definitely you feel like you're watching uh one of those older vietnam war movies in the flashbacks yeah which which i found really cool yeah and i feel like that paired with the fact that they were also showing like real footage from the past it just it connected everything so well there's that was amazing yeah i think spike lee has a very unique gift of like tying in real history into his films like it can seem jarring to some when like in the middle of a fiction film you just have like a picture of some famous figure from history with like a little bit of narration but i think it really helps with the contextualization for people who are coming in with basically no background knowledge like these movies almost serve as an education themselves if that makes any sense yeah that that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense uh yeah um i do really love um the whole part of paul's character where he's a black republican who voted for donald trump like has i the think make america great against uh hat and everything. Yeah, the hat yeah like i think in a lot of other movies that could be viewed as like cheap political commentary but i think it really serves to help us understand Paul's character more. Like he's, he feels let down by his country, you know, like nothing's been since the war. He hasn't really felt like he's been looked out for. So he feels like it's an identity that he can relate to. And I think that's a very important perspective to show. Like there are black Americans that do vote with the Republican party that do, vote for trump they don't just not exist you can't not show them on screen 
and yeah i agree that that it made the film like that much more you know deep um because that's again another perspective that we're not usually shown sorry sure i cut you off there no yeah it's totally all right i do think you know a bit towards the end it does also help to serve as like exposition without actually doing anything you know um in the in the final battle scene when the french dude is like wearing the hat it's a very oh it's a way of him saying like i killed paul without actually him having to say that because i don't think he does he's just wearing this hat and you can immediately tell that he's the dude who killed him yeah yeah spoiler alert by the way we are gonna spoil the whole movie yeah (laughs) So definitely what, what watch guys... the movie before this because some, <laughs> you don't want it to be spoiled. It'll be it'll be very good. Yeah. What'd you guys think about um, Paul's death? By the way, like how they handled that, how that was handled. I think it was appropriate. You know, he's he's definitely kind of gone off the edge. He's got he's got the closure that he went to Vietnam to get, but also mm-hmm. he's like been kind of broken by the whole experience more than any other character definitely yeah and if he went back his life would never be the same and i think that it like it's very much reflective of his whole view that the war never ended like how he's always suspicious of all of the vietnamese people around him it's very fitting for that to be his end to be killed by them Mm mm-hmm and in the monologue speech, too, he said, like, he was going to choose the way he was going to die. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just, it's very ironic. And definitely, it felt very intentional that he was, like, forced to dig his own grave, you know. For sure. Like, he was digging his own grave, causing his own death. But then, I mean, other people killed him. Yeah. But Yeah, I was... I mean, I, I guess I figured that, you know, Paul's always going to die by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I was shocked that, you know, and, and, and this is not something I'm necessarily mad about because it's, you know, maybe more realistic, but I was just shocked that he, you know, wasn't the last to die of the Five Bloods. It seems like he was, like, the most influential, like, the definitely my my favorite character throughout the movie and a total badass basically and he <laughs> kind of dies like there's still like half an hour left in the movie and i'm like oh yeah. you know like i i didn't i didn't dislike that but i i just wish that we could have seen more of paul because he's i mean like i said he's awesome yeah i definitely wasn't expecting like basically every important character to die you yeah know? that was definitely it threw me for a loop yeah, I think the first the first one when it happens, the whole mind sequence. Oh, I was yeah. more like waiting for some. I was waiting for him to get shot by like someone hiding in the bushes, and that for it to be like the big reveal. But then he steps on the mine, and it's just such a okay. Yeah, can we talk about this? Because this yeah. this is I think that movie's got uh, this is Eddie, and yeah, I the, so the whole movie like especially once they're in the jungle and they're, 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 um, uh, they're searching for the gold and they're like digging around for the gold. 
I was I was just waiting for the mine scene. I, I, I knew that there was going to be mines because, you know, the whole time they're kind of building towards this, you know, potential disaster uh, for, for, you know, the, the remaining five, five bloods. And then you get that scene with, you know, Eddie and he's, he's like panicking, he's freaking out, he's walking backward, he's stumbling backward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he and then he's just gone. And that that was like at that point, there was a transition in the movie from just kind of what it was before to the chaos that ensues. Um, yeah. I don't know. I found that really cool. No, I very much felt that transition. It's right about like the halfway point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Before that, honestly, I did not expect the change at all. Like, I didn't know what I was going into when I started the movie. I was just like, I got to watch this. Let's do it. <laughs> and man, it, it literally blew me away not not as yeah. much as uh eddie but you know. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> sorry <laughs> i had to do it to him yeah but i was expecting it was like a treasure hunt movie and i was like okay they got the gold but the movie's only yeah. halfway over like what you're like uh-oh it's gonna go down <laughs> yeah they're they... digging for the gold i i thought that one of them was gonna get blown up like yeah it was just such a happy yeah i thought they were gonna like, hit what's... a mine when they were digging that's what I yeah. thought they found at first. But. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the moment where they find uh, Storm and Norman's body. Because I thought that was such a great moment. You know? Because you've seen maybe one or two scenes between all five of them all together. You know? And it's very like small like wartime scenes where you're like, okay, there's like sort of a bond here that I get. But the moment they find his body and when paul like realizes he's him and you just see like the desperation as he like claws and digs him out Mm -hmm. i think all of the actors sold that very very well because i really felt like the emotion and the power of that scene where they finally have found their friend and their leader without like them having to explicitly build up that relationship over the two hours you know mm-hmm. they could get to it, it halfway is, through the movie yeah it's definitely a very powerful moment um and i love the camera work there too because the they put the camera basically in the i don't know if it's like a grave or where they buried him yeah um and you can just see i think they're the son is uh, paul's son's with them so there is five of them all kind of staring mm-hmm. down at uh at the remains and you do get a sense of like wow like the mission was accomplished like they they found their friend mm-hmm. um and i found it interesting too like up until that point like the the film was like you know it was it was going pretty well and then once the the gold gets involved and and you kind of have like the yeah. money aspect of things like everything crumbles um and i'm i'm pretty sure that was deliberate but uh it was a nice touch you know yeah when otis is um when otis yeah. is I don't know, like the woman he was in love with during the war who had his daughter when she gives him the gun when they're about to leave and she's like, gold corrupts you or whatever she says. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to say, I didn't like on it. I honestly expected like the bond to hold strong between all of them. But you very much see all those cracks start to appear. You know, the second Mm -hmm. they first find the gun to when gold enters the picture. Like they all backstabbers. Yeah. It it's a very interesting commentary about how, you know, you may be like brothers, but 
gold is still gold. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. There's something really interesting, too, to be said about, like, Paul's character, how he, like, it, there's, he's, like, already stressed out being in Vietnam in general, and you know that. And then they throw his son in the mix, and they hate each other. So that's, you know, one thing. And then you you have the gun that Otis has, and then you have, like, the gold, and he's he's constantly paranoid in the jungle. Um, and you really follow, like, Paul's character into this, like, descent and this downward spiral in the movie. Um, and, like, looking back on it, I'm realizing that, you know, Paul was kind of, like, the vessel for that. Like, he, he was uh, kind of summed up all the fears and the anxiety that this film kind of throws on you. Yeah. I think when they're like talking about how he had the like the biggest relationship with Norman, you kind of just you buy that. You're like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was just super close to him and that's why this whole mission to find his body is so important to him. But then, yeah. you know, the second that flashback starts where they're in the middle of that battle and you start to realize, Oh wait, this is this is why he's so determined yeah. to find oh. his body it's yeah. it's messed up yeah and it just happens in like a split second like spike lee doesn't like linger on it he's not like going into slow-mo or anything he's not changing any angles mm-hmm. it just it happens someone bursts in the room and paul turns and fires it all happens just in one shot and it's over and norman is like dying and almost dead because of paul right he, no, he, he basically yeah shoots both of them accidentally shoots uh, Norman, obviously. And you can, I mean, he, like, you see it on his face after he does it because it's, I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. Like, it's, you know, it's, it, th- that part in the film, I actually had to, like, pause and rewind because, like, straight that's, it happened so fast that at, fir- at first I thought that, you know, Norman was just killed by, you know, someone else. And it was just, yeah. you know, I, I kind of was expecting that. I had no idea. I did not see that coming that, uh, that, you know, Paul was the one that, that killed him, but it made so much sense at that moment. Yeah, that Just guilt. Based on it, that guilt and that drive feels very real and makes much more sense once you have that whole background. Yeah. And it's very close to the end of the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think it's good placement. Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to the mine scene because very soon after Eddie blows up, um, Paul's son also steps on a mine. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then those three Americans the slash whatever they were, the French, whatever they were, they show <laughs> up as well. And we suddenly get a very tense scene where they're trying to save Paul's son. And whereas... Um, Norman's death was very quick and not very played out this whole scene with getting him off the mine they definitely take their time with it you know yeah. it's not just oh we got it we fixed it it's done there's very real stakes and those stakes are there because we just saw Eddie blow up like there's yeah. a very real possibility that Paul will lose his son it would, as yeah. soon as Eddie died I was like no one is safe exactly and i think that's such a smart move you know i don't want to say eddie was like underdeveloped but he was maybe he had the least least arc out of all five of them 
so it makes sense for him to be the first one to go. But still, the the second he's gone, nobody's safe. You know. No, I think that's part of what makes this such a great movie. Because I see, you know, a lot of times you'll see uh, main characters with plot armor. You know, and you're like, the stakes never feel high because you know, there nothing's gonna like happen to them that can't be reversed. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything in this movie is high stakes. Uh, the characters lose a lot, lose their life, you know? Yeah. It, I will say... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Trey. Go ahead, Ty. Go ahead. Like, just going off that, Andrew, with um, with the plot armor, I think that's a very important point. Um, Hold up. Andrew's taking off the robe. I'm sorry. Andrew's oh taking gosh. off the robe. Yeah, uh, here we Our go. Our conversation is getting hot a screeching halt (laughs) sorry go ahead all right thank you andrew Uh, so so um with with uh, otis's character though because i believe he survives um he's the only five blood to survive and and it's you know it's interesting because he is the basically the sole uh you know member of the squad who actually has a family that we see um, besides Paul and his son, you, you don't really count that because they were like estranged and, and so different. And um, but it's nice that Otis gets to like go back and, and kind of like meet his daughter um, that he never knew he had up until the film. So there's like a little bit of plot armor there, maybe. Uh, and then also, you know, um, with Paul's son David surviving, because um, obviously he's like the youngest one and. Yeah you know, has a lot to live for. So it's like, it's nice that they like, they didn't just kill off everyone, I guess, because it kind yeah. of ties up the end nicely. But um, like Shrey, you were saying when Eddie dies, like Eddie previous, like right before that, and this is kind of how I knew like, wait a minute, something's going to go wrong. Like Eddie admits that he's like got nothing left. Like he's essentially lost all of his money and yeah. he, you know, he, he has like nothing and he's, he's all uh, depressed and, and, and you feel for him in that moment. And, and then you're like, oh, hang on, like, Eddie, you know, he's not, there's nothing left for him to go back to. So you're, mm-hmm. you're immediately nervous. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely makes it clear that each of the characters has something that they'd like to go back for. But they also kind of, everything that, everything that's important to them is back in Vietnam, you know? Mm-hmm. Vietnam's such an important part of their life they can't really give up on and in the end they they don't because they're stuck there forever you know right like even Otis who survives is like presumably going to live in Vietnam after meeting his daughter yeah so I was a, a little point. confused did it um I don't know if it's the mother of his child did he did she betray him or was it just the french guy uh, i think it's just the french guy from what i yeah that's tell. yeah yeah that's i think I that's thought. correct i was a little confused because she kind of looked a little uncomfortable when he came back home mm-hmm. and i was like does she know what happened yeah but speaking of the french guy um so i saw him in the i saw that he i saw him in that scene in his first scene and I recognized him, like, from a few things. And then he's, like, basically gone for the rest of the movie. And I'm like, yeah. wait a second. Like, 
I know this guy. Like, he's a pretty big actor. Like, he can't just mm-hmm. be gone. And then when he comes back at the end, you're like, all right, there it is. <laughs> That's why he's in this movie. Because otherwise, I think, like, anybody could have played that character. But. Yeah. Right. He He's, like, the main antagonist, probably. Yeah. Um, and you don't really realize that to like, the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. When he's, you know, kind of revealed to be this backstabbing murderer, you know. Yeah. And all that. But his exchange with Paul um, in the beginning, though, was honestly probably my favorite scene with him. I don't remember uh, what you guys he remember? had to say. Where so Paul's basically. Like yelling at him. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, Paul, you know, he's very aggressive and, you know, very patriotic, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> and he basically is like, oh, you know, the, we bailed out the French twice in World Wars. Uh, and they immediately start, you know, they go at it at that point. Um, and that's a scene where I was like, like, you know, go Paul. Like, this is, this is pretty <laughs> fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so speaking of Paul, we did mention earlier, I definitely think his is the best performance in a leading role that I've seen all year so far. Like the only person that I've seen come close was Pete Davidson in King of Staten Island. But I think Delroy Lindo is like the clear lead so far, you know, in an Oscar race, like whenever that still happens. I think he's very clearly in the lead. And I think that's pretty amazing for like, I don't know, he's like maybe 70 years old now to be giving such like an energetic and like vital performance in this movie that still comes out so good is very impressive. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I stated earlier, uh, you know, Delroy Lindo's definitely my favorite part of this movie. And I love this movie. Like I loved all of it. So um, I definitely do think, uh, think he deserves, you know, nomination at the very least, if not a win. Yeah. Um, so this movie also came out at a very interesting time because it, it feels like it was made with the context of everything that's been going on because there's definitely commentary on it. Yeah. But it's like it was made last year. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that, like, the issues that it's dealing with are not just from now. It's like you can see it through Spike Lee's filmography, like all the way through Do the Right Thing, which came out 31 years ago. Like, he's been addressing these topics and nothing has really changed because of the system around us, you know? the reason his movies always feel so vital when you watch them is not because like he has this like magic eye. It's just like he's addressing a new thing. It's like, it's just been around. Yeah. It's been around for so long and it's been around for longer than like he's been making movies too. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching, I've been watching some of his movies recently just to, I think a lot of them were on Netflix because of, the five bloods coming out on there and it's very interesting to see that whole message travel throughout all of his filmography because i saw do the right thing for the first time recently and i will say that's still my favorite spike lee movie but this is a very close second um tyler i don't know about you if you've seen any other 
Spike Lee movies where this one yeah, rings for I've you? Yeah, I've seen uh, Black Klansman and Malcolm X. Uh, yeah. And I think those are the only three I've seen. Maybe more. I, I can't remember. Um, I haven't seen Do the Right Thing. It's definitely on my watch list. Um, yeah. But out of those three, that's really tough because I really enjoyed Malcolm X. Um, and I think the Black Klansman was a great movie too. So I think I would probably put the five bloods above those two but like like you said it's a very close very close race yeah i've seen do the right thing black clansman the five bloods um inside man and she's gotta have it and do the right thing is first for me right now with the five bloods second think black clansman oh i've also seen malcolm x mm-hmm. um so then Inside Man, then Malcolm X, and then Do the Right Thing. Or not Do the Right Thing, uh, She's Gotta Have It. But yeah. No, I think this is the only Spike Lee movie I've seen. So yeah. it's number one, you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> but it it's definitely it. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite movie of 2020 so far. Like, if Tenet doesn't end up coming out for like another six months, this should win the Oscar, honestly, you know? Yeah. And it's like it's unfortunate too because if you know Tenet doesn't come out and a lot of movies get delayed, then people are always going to be like, "Oh, the Five Bloods like didn't deserve what yeah. it earned," yeah. even though I think it does, and it's yeah. an exceptional yeah. movie that came out in you know with a bunch of uh, in a very you know, weird really time garbage movies. Yeah, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what an Oscar pool is like if like movies continue not to come out for the rest of the year like through the Academy's whole benchmark, you know, what is the five bloods in the running against? Like, I'm going to guess King of Staten Island is maybe in there, which, all right, I can see that. But then like, what <laughs> you got be, like, I mean, yeah. What, what do you have next? Like never. Yeah. Oh geez. I don't know, man. Like, do you have like trolls world tour in there? You know, <laughs> does Euro, does Eurovision make it in there? Definitely not Scoob. I mean, yeah. Scoob is going to be in there. For the animated films? The new oh, yeah. Andre comedy special is going to get nominated? <laughs> yeah, everybody's that put, everybody that's putting out comedy specials is just going to get nominated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Parasite's going to be on there again somehow. Yeah, Parasite just gets nominated again and wins again. <laughs> the director's cut. <laughs> <part. laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm very interested to see if this has like a director's cut because it feels like a very complete movie but i also know that knowing spike lee he definitely could have a lot more to say mm-hmm. i i do want to say so when i saw black Klansman for the first time you know how at the end tyler he uses the footage from i want to say like the what was it virginia where that whole uh yeah march uh, was i think so yeah the death there. he uses the footage of the death of heather Heyer. From or no, it's Charlottesville, right? Yeah, I'm just checking. Yeah. So he used he uses that at the end of the movie to like very make a very clear statement about white supremacy, and when I saw that for the first time, I definitely felt like it was kind of exploiting tragedy to make a statement. But I've definitely come around on that to change my mind. Like. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned earlier, it's him showing that stuff is real. Like the stuff that people are facing 
like the subjects he's dealing with in his movies, they're real. He's not just working on a piece of fiction that you're just supposed to consume and enjoy and then not think about. Mm. It's very much like an indication of this is real. This is stuff everyday people are dealing with. You can't ignore it. And I admire that, I think, in his whole filmmaking style. Yeah. It was um, Charlottesville, just to confirm that. And yeah, that's like, I know a lot of people um, have a lot of issues with the ending of Black Klansman, just because like, you know, not that because they don't agree that it's an important issue, but just because they're like, oh, does this like belong at the end of a movie? Because it's such a you know graphic and you know violent scene, and I do agree with you, Trey, that like if the movie, especially like *The Five Bloods*, where there is you know graphic imagery throughout the film, um, I think it symbolizes both the time uh, or the you know the time of the Vietnam War and a lot of what we're going through now, and so it's definitely a connection that I think is is fair and necessary to make. Yeah. It, it definitely helps also serve to the very nowness of his movies while also showing how that past has always been present, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I did have, this is going to be a little bit off topic from where we've been going, but I did have a question for Tyler. I know earlier he said um, like he would have liked it Paul was the last one to survive. Mm-hmm. So do you think if they like switch the chronology of what's happening in like the temple ruins and what's happening with Paul, do you think that would have made the movie better for you? That's interesting. I did kind of think about that. I guess what I thought about was if they had just straight up ended with Paul's death, like if, if they had kind of, shown i don't know how that would have worked necessarily with the plot but like those just they theoretically worked that in um i don't know if i would have enjoyed that more necessarily and maybe that speaks to the fact that what was done was the correct way to do it i don't think that like ending with paul's death would have been any like more satisfying than you know like keeping him around longer um maybe what i would have rather have seen was like all being able to like see his son one more time maybe he like even just see him like around the temple area and having paul i just feel like the the death was so um like it was building up for paul to go down fighting and then he just gets like shot without much of a fight at that point and for me that was like oh i mean i I mean i guess it's you know potentially realistic and everything but to answer your question, I don't think that um, having like that scene take place later in the film would have made it better. Nice. Yeah, Sorry. I I agree. I definitely think that it works very well where it is. I feel like it could very much be disruptive to the whole point and the arc of all of the other characters. If Paul was the mm-hmm. last one to die, and, like it just ends there. Um, so yeah, I, I do like that he's like, he's very much alone when he dies and that's very reflective of the path that he's chosen to go on with his whole like madness. He's very much isolated himself because of that and it's reflected in how he dies alone, which I thought was a very neat thing to do. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I think that about sums up our ideas on the five bloods. Are there any closing thoughts you guys had that you wanted to share? I definitely recommend watching this. Um, yeah. And, you know, even if you're not like a fan of, of the war movie genre, um, I think it, you know, kind of transcends that a bit. Um, and it yeah. transcends the traditional Vietnam war movie, kind of like I said at the beginning. So definitely check it out. It's, it's worth the watch. Yeah. I mean, not, I'm not exactly a war movie fan, but I definitely think this would be like a five star movie for me. Yeah. I think this was a movie I, ex I went into going, expecting to like it. And I came out liking it a lot more than I expected. So we definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix to stream right now. Um, it's not like other trashy Netflix originals. It's actually good. <laughs> we promise. Just go and check it out. Um, but yeah. So let us know what you think. Leave some reviews in our iTunes reviews. And uh, we'll check them out. Maybe talk about them in future episodes. But until then, this has been Double Stuff Cinema. Get stuffed. <laughs>